0: to Interdisciplinary, Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Interdisciplinary, and uh, as you know, we're uh, wrapping up season four today, so it's your last chance to go leave us a review and score yourself uh, a Heal Well mug, uh, pardon me, an interdisciplinary mug, an interdisciplinary t-shirt, or the chance to chat it up with me and my often co-host, Kathy Ryan. Uh, You can even also choose to talk to Janet Penny and Rebecca Sturgeon about their book that just came out that's super fancy about integrative medicine and oncology massage and all the fancy things that go along with that. So all you have to do is leave us a review and you could pick from one of those amazing things. Um, make sure you also get out there and share us and like us and love us on the social medias. Tell your pets, tell your pals, everybody, why you listen, why they should listen. And here we are, the moment that you've all been waiting for. Today's pun. You know, I recently lost my job as a stage designer. I left without making a scene. <laughs>
1: That's a good one. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> I'm so excited to um, to not introduce you, um, but to let Teresa introduce uh, herself to you all. Uh, we have Teresa Nguyen with us today, and I'm going to let her tell you why we thought she'd be cool to have on the show. So take it away, Teresa.
1: Well, thank you, Cal. Um, I appreciate you having me. Um, I'm Teresa Nguyen. Gosh, I don't know where to start to tell you about myself. Um, Let's see. I identify as um, a Vietnamese-American disabled woman. There's a lot in there. Um, And um, kind of my passion and my career path is um, around public health. um, And I specifically care a lot about public health for people with disabilities um, people like myself who often face interesting inequities in the healthcare system. Um, and so I have, uh, you know, decided to pursue kind of a career that looks at different policies uh, related to gosh, you know, all the way from funding healthcare. So Medicaid um, all the way to bigger policies that, you um, enable our states and um, our facilities to function and serve people with disabilities. Um, So wide range of experience there. Um, Right now, I actually have switched gears a little bit um, and I'm working in employment um, and talking about the intersection of employment and healthcare and how that also plays hand in hand when we're talking about wellness and um, healthy outcomes for folks, especially folks with disabilities who have a lower uh, employment rate than the average population. Um, So I'm a trainer for uh, the office of, or the Colorado Office of Employment First, um, and I'm excited to be here today.
0: It's an excellent start. so many questions which direction to go. To, I'm curious about, <clears throat> I think it's easy for us to sort of make half-formed assumptions about why the unemployment rate is higher for people with disabilities. What Tell us what's true about that and, and why is that the case?
1: Well, um, gosh, you know, we know a lot more is true with um, COVID kind of shining a light on employment in general for everybody. Um, yeah. But it's really about Um, I believe, anyways, and I think the data supports it. Um, The lack of flexibility and accommodations that um, have been in the workplace for people with disabilities. Um, For example, you know, we know that the world quickly shifted to work from home quickly uh, when COVID hit. And this accommodation has been repeatedly requested for by our disability community. And unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations deny that, at least deny it to the extent that somebody would need it um, with a disability. And so I believe that the lack of accommodations, lack of flexibility is is one um, correlation to the unemployment rate. Um, you know, another is that there are really um, low uh, opportunities for people with disabilities to move forward in their career. Um, and, you know, why, we don't really know. But, um, you know, we don't, if you could look at leadership um, in many sectors, how many people with disabilities do you see leading companies and organizations? Um, that's pretty low. And. Um, Education rates are lower for people with disabilities. Uh, People with intellectual and cognitive disabilities don't have the opportunity to pursue higher ed. Um, And so that already makes your opportunity a lot lower to acquire a job um, that can help support you and your lifestyle. Um, So there's so many reasons out there. um, But, you know, another big reason, and this is proven true, is the competitive integrated employment um, environments are not available, and so oftentimes, um, folks with disabilities find themselves in sheltered workshops um, in really segregated settings away from their peers, without disabilities, and sometimes with disabilities, um, with uh, you know kind of a, a duty or a task that hasn't really fit their skill set or even their interests. Um, so that's. a a little bit of wow yeah
0: yeah just a little bit (laughs) and as you're talking it strikes me that this is another place where it you know there's so much now in talking about gender awareness and racial awareness that like it's not because we don't know and I feel like this is the same situation like there are the way to create change continues to elude us because it's actually these biases that people don't even know they have and these assumptions that they're making. And so when you're working at the policy level or when you're working with like trying to advance workplace access and and choice, I mean, do you have the opportunity to kind of like talk with people about like, do you see what you don't know you believe? Do you see how that's getting in the way? Or like, is that even a thing that can come into your conversations?
1: I think so. Um, I I definitely, you know, my personality is a little bit more outspoken and so I'm not afraid to bring that into the conversation. Um, What I find, unfortunately, and I I know so many people can relate um, as a minority in whatever category they may fit in is... um, we often, the burden is on the minority to educate folks. Yes. um, And to start that conversation, to have those really hard conversations, to risk being seen as, you know, maybe the Debbie Downer of the team or the, you know, whatnot of the organization. Because you, I mean, it's, the responsibility is on us to bring to light some of the inequities that are just, um, resulting from implicit biases or um, stereotypes that people aren't even aware that they, you know, are are acting upon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there, thankfully, you know, there has been many opportunities for me to share my experience and my community's experience with, um, with my colleagues and my management. Um, I think that, you know, that is um, – A sign that that's an environment that is welcoming of different people that they're, you know, making progress in that area. Um, Sometimes the feed or the uh, reaction to this feedback or um, this uh, calling out of um, certain things in the workplace, you know, is not um, reacted. Or I guess management does not take that well. Sometimes I have found that too. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's a double edged sword. It's like, you know, I am glad to maybe weed those folks out of, um, (laughs) career trajectory. Um, and to help my community, you know, be a little bit more aware of like, who's even welcoming of our people. Um, but then there's also that other thing of oh my gosh I always have to be this person to always bring this up and you know I wish that burden did not have to fall on me yeah
0: mm-hmm. so I wonder th- this is I think I'm about to put it back on you inadvertently but so I I want to be one of those people and I think a lot of our listeners who who bring up the concerns of people who like it doesn't specifically affect me but it is important for people whom it doesn't directly affect to be the ones to speak up but you know we talk a lot on the show and, and here at heal well about really staying solidly out of the savior position mm-hmm. and um but also not like what's the balance between being legitimately curious and ignorant and sort of that other thing that makes you feel as a person living with a disability like oh that's could you never talk to me again <laughs> um <laughs> How do we find the the balance between being a sort of helpful spokesperson and learning what we need to learn? I mean, I've learned so much just from spending time with like a friend who uses a motorized wheelchair and being like, oh gosh, yeah, like here's all the crap I never think about. Um, so how do we, uh, how can we be less
1: jerky? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I think I think it's kind of a learning process (laughs) for everybody. Yes. Um, I will say like my meter of maybe tolerating questions or curiosity and then the threshold of that is um, examining maybe some actions that come out of those questions. Um, So, you know, I think it's perfectly fine. I am somebody who loves Questions and curiosity rather than um, assumptions, and so I would rather you ask me a stupid question at any point. I can say a lot of my community members will agree with that, um, but we would rather just hear it from you than than be excluded um, from you know from your interactions just from an assumption you have from I who knows where. Um, but I think the action that follows that is really important, and that helps um, me and I say my friends understand, you know, who's serious, who really wants to be an ally, who, um, or is this just fun trivia for people? Right, <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. And so, Ugh. you know, I mean, I think like, I have a lot of friends who ask me very personal questions about access and disability, but I also think it pays off because, um, when they're planning events, they're all accessible. Um, yeah. Or, you know, similar events with work, Um, you know, when they're considering um, team events or even just uh, scheduling, you know, they'll take whatever I say into consideration. Um, And, you know, I have found that in school too, right? Like there's like curiosity that will help me get to where I need to be in school. And then there's curiosity that's maybe inappropriate. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say for me, it's it helps when uh, the person with a disability can maybe understand what kind of action you'll be taking after learning that piece of information.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess I would flip that back to the rest of us and say, why are you asking? Like, yeah. before you open your face hole, think about <laughs> what is it that I actually plan to do with this information? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You um, it, it look like you were going to say something.
1: Oh, no, no. Nope. Okay. Just, just thinking about this. I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who will just make comments like, I think about this everywhere now. I don't even, like, you're not even with me half the time. And, you know, I think about it. And so I, I think it's, it's worth it for that um, because it will increase access, I think, as people continue to interact and have exposure to people with disabilities. But, um, yeah, I agree. It's more like, why, you know, why are you asking this? Or what is the curiosity coming from? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. One of the things that is astounding to me as like this has really, I mean, I, I am embarrassed to admit that like, this has really only come onto my radar sort of disability access and just how prevalent disability is in probably like the last two years. And one of the things that really floored me in the beginning was that one in four people in America is living with a disability. And that when I'll say for, I'll speak for myself, when I think disability, I think person in a wheelchair, but. Disability is this incredibly wide um, category, and so I'm curious in your work in employment, and you know, I know you've you've done um, or at least spoken about housing as a public health concern and things like that. Can you talk about sort of the spectrum of disability and the ways that you know it's not always mobility; it's not always like there's lots of different things that make it hard to live in a world that is not designed for people whose bodies don't work perfectly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that as we have, I will say the disability movement has progressed and one of the big progressions, because I we, we still have a lot of work to do, um, but one of the big things that I've seen in my lifetime, and, you know, I would like to just disclose that I grew up under the ADA. I was very privileged. Um, and so I grew up with, you know, legalities to barriers to access, school barriers, and transportation barriers, building barriers, um, there was like a fix to that or not a fix, but, you know, there was some meat behind my complaint per se. Um, and that's a huge privilege, um, to, uh, the generation of the ADA as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things that has evolved from that is, um, pride has grown. And that is why we are seeing a big, big, different, very, like, full variety of disabilities out there, because I think people are comfortable identifying and talking about it. Um, And yeah, it is more than just a mobility um, disability. There are so many out there. I remember that um, my first job out of college was working in our university's disability services office. Um, I was a receptionist, so, you know, it, it wasn't like this, you know, big thing where I had so many skills to gather about (laughs) disability from that role, but I was, um, in charge of the intakes and that really raised my awareness about invisible disabilities and, um, learning disabilities. And I never realized, um, I was again, more exposed on the mobility side. I knew that, you know, snow was going to be hard for me in my wheelchair and my friend's wheelchairs to get through. I knew that, you know, some buildings weren't going to have elevators, so we couldn't take classes there. But I was not aware of things that, other things that folks needed, like um, extra time for exams uh, due to processing disorders or Um, a different environment, even, to take your exam in. Um, That was a really common accommodation as well. Um, I became familiar with uh, blind folks and visually impaired folks. Um, Ah, Wow. Yeah, and then, yeah, and also um, deaf and hard of hearing as well. And so there's a variety out there, and um, what's so funny to me is that Many people don't realize that they're going to join the disability community at some point in their lifetime. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's it, it might be early uh, due to an accident, and illness, it, but it really could be the life process of aging. Um, you know, I have parents who, of course, are aging. And um, the reaction that they have to their own disability is so funny to me because I grew up in a very loving environment and very accepting, um, but that is not how they're reacting to their own, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, their own inabilities or their own um, disabilities that have come up. And so it's just really interesting that there is a lot more awareness we need and a lot more acceptance we need um, from society to be able to be comfortable with disability. it could be so clear as to raising your own kid with a genetic disability, you know, very unique one. Um, I would say very difficult one. And then having to navigate your very own personal experience is a whole nother beast that it's like, seriously, I've watched my parents and I'm like, have you not seen this before? Right, <laughs> right, we just went through this for thirty three years. You were so good at this, yeah, I like, <laughs> what do you mean? This is just mind blowing um, and so I don't think people realize the the depth of disability that is out there, um the variety you know we when we're talking to me when I think about covid and all of the accommodations that have come up for everybody, but including people with disabilities, something that is often not think thought about, and I hope that we are increasing this likelihood or outcome, but is web accessibility and technology accessibility for folks, again, with um, a variety of disabilities. Uh, you know, it. I think people, when they think of, like, oh, navigating the internet, they think of blind and visually impaired, but it's really, there's a whole gamut out there of learning, again, learning disabilities, neurodiverse disabilities, um, processing disabilities that really could all benefit from a revamp of the technology world. Um, And I don't think we have recognized that. And so, um, as we evolve, and as you know, medicine advances, technology advances, um, our society and our uh, attitudes need to also advance. To think of um, the different ways that we can, you know, assist people with disabilities in in everyday life, but also, you know, in the workplace, in healthcare, in um, independent living. So I don't know if that answers your question, Cal, but. Um.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly not even a question that can like be answered exhaustively, but yes, I, I think you addressed, I mean, there just just as you were talking, I was like, oh, right, that and that and <laughs> oh, geez, right. Like the world, the world just isn't made for people whose minds and bodies work differently than quote unquote, the manual says they should work. And yes. unless those people speak up, we don't know. And then once they start to speak up, we have to pick up their voices and and continue that and say, like, so yeah, like this really we have to stop being willing to host our events at places that say, Oh no, sorry, we're not accessible. Even if you quote unquote don't expect anyone to need those accommodations, you have to be willing to say, Nope, this is not this is not a good venue for us because it's not accessible and and make it clear to the venue, like, oh, it's perfect, except for this is something you're going to have to fix. And like, we do have to start drawing those lines in the sand and being vocal about it. It's not enough to just not patronize that place or not, you know, talk to that provider, but to really say like, this is why I'm leaving your practice or this is why I'm leaving this restaurant or whatever it
1: is. Absolutely. And I, I think the big thing that we could all do um, is really easily. Well, I don't know if easily is the right word, but um, (laughs) plan, for people with disabilities in your budget. Um, I don't care what it is that you work in, you will, a person with a disability will probably like to access whatever. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that can't be said enough, like the planning part. And, you know, I think when people think of planning, they think of like this very big, uh, confusing, complex process. but it starts with budget just yeah. plan for that plan for some accommodations you could have extra in the end who cares right. um, but you know i i think the planning goes a long way um i was talking about uh, i think with a friend about just i wish there was a little bit of uh pre-planning done with um national parks and like when they you know fix those up or um you know, add more trails or add more accommodations for people. It's like, I wish they would do it for all people, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think, you know, an easy way to start if you're overwhelmed by planning is looking at the budget. Yeah.
0: And plan for people with disabilities. I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk in our classes all the time when we're talking about critical thinking, you know, I do this joke where I point at my watch and I say, you know, this watch repels tigers. And people are like, what? Well, you know, obviously like, oh, where this where's this going? And I'm like, you know how I know? Do you see any tigers? No. Right. And and I think people say, well, we don't have people with disabilities at our events. That's well, right. Because you well, haven't made them a welcoming space.
1: <laughs> so, exactly. It's yeah. like, well, that's probably because they weren't able to access it in the beginning. Yeah. You know, um, and again, I'm not saying it's easy or, you know, that everybody has the budget for this. But I do think it is a place to start is when you're planning for things, unexpected things, um, you should absolutely look at the population who's accessing whatever you're providing.
0: Yeah. And c- and to consider, I mean, I feel like just in my in my few attempts to like call ahead to a restaurant or to a place and say like, I'm coming with a friend or friends who use motorized wheelchairs or walkers or whatever. do you, is this, is your, is this your space accommodating? And you can hear, this able-bodied person on the other phone go, I think so. And I'm like, click like, okay, no, that's not going to do it. Like, I don't want everybody to slip out there and not be able to get in. And that if you imagine that that is the life of a disabled person, constantly trying to call ahead and like getting these vague quasi answers from people who don't understand what they're doing by not giving you a legit answer. And
1: you just, it's not even worth checking. Sometimes you're just over it. Right. I mean that, and then also at least for me and my family and my friends, we have learned like there's literally like a special language we use and it's called don't say ramps, don't say accessibility, don't say anything jargony. People freak out. And if you say, (laughs) is there a step or stairs into your place, they can easily answer that more than you know, wow. cool. yeah, uh, trust me, we had this whole lingo, like, figured uh-huh. out. I remember being in New York, I think two years ago, and um, oh, we were just not having luck, my friends and I calling ahead. We were just like, people were just stuttering, stammering around, oh, I think we have a ramp in the back somewhere. Oh, God. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and I'm like, forget it, forget it. Like, don't say ramp, don't say anything. And we actually resorted to, and this, you know, is the beauty of technology nowadays, is we resorted to looking at Google images or Google Pics of the location. Oh yeah. Um, and that helped me a lot more than calling and having a 30-minute conversation and finding like accessibility, which you know, you can't blame folks at restaurants and, and folks who answer the phone. Um, you know, to know all of this jargon, I mean, I think it is confusing um, for the average person. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, I, I also feel like disability should not be a word that freaks people out. No. Um, or stammer around. And so it's it's an interesting line, you know. He's yeah. Saying, yeah. Do you have stairs? Or, you know, is your front door, um, does it have a step or is it one level? And they can easily answer that question a lot faster. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Well, it makes me think that like orientation for people who, whether, you know, receptionists or whatever, like what's, you know, you know where the fire extinguishers are, you know where the bathrooms are. Like you should know if, you know, what adaptive devices can be accommodated. And I think the thing that has surprised me a couple of times is people will say, oh yeah, no problem. You can get in to eat and we have, you know, tables that have legs on the outside so you can wheel your chair underneath them. Oh, but when you go to the bathroom, it's a nightmare. And it's like you can get into the joint, but I hope you don't have to pee while you're there because you're going to be out of luck.
1: Or they'll say, oh, yeah, the inside is one level. There's a step outside. (laughs) I'm
0: like, what? Great. I'll just be levitating into your restaurant (laughs) and then it'll be amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so just, you know, yeah, you hit it, Cal, when you say people with disabilities are planning their whole lives. I mean, when I was in college, I, you know, college, I mean, you think about college and you think of um, this phase of your life where you're kind of spontaneous and you do whatever you want and you just have a little bit of fun and you don't have to be that responsible adult yet, especially in your early 20s. You know, college kids get like a free pass to do Totally. Right. <laughs> And you know I just I remember when I was in that phase I'm like man what would that feel like because I can't I,
0: I You can't, never have that.
1: No. Right. Um no. I have to Ugh. think about everything. And you know and that's any person with a disability, you know, they whether they realize it or not, they're planning a lot of their lives and pre-planning. Yeah. And so oh. the best somebody could do for us Um, businesses and and companies is pre-planned for us. Yeah. Just assume. I mean, Mm -hmm. 25%
0: is a lot. So, um, yeah, that's huge. Wow. Yeah. So uh, in your life, well, I I have two questions because I know that, so you grew up in a house that was three stories and you were born with with OI, um, Mm -hmm. which is essentially brittle bones. And so- But you didn't, you didn't have a wheelchair until you were like five-ish. That's right. So tell us, I I, I don't have a specific question, but like that, when I think about that and you navigating with a walker, a three-story house, and then like, what was it like when you got a chair and like, did they, you know, did you guys adapt your house so you
1: could stay on that floor? Like how, tell me things. Oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Goodness. Where, where do I start with this? Um. Well, I think the best place to start is to know a little bit of my cultural background. So um, my parents are both immigrants from Vietnam. And, you know, I mean, I think there is a big stereotype out there that that is correct. Um, I think for the most part is that, you know, Asians are very into the um, intergenerational household. Um, and that with that mindset um, comes this like Natural uh, expectation to just care for everybody in your life, in your family, and so um, when I was a child, yes, my house is three stories, and the mindset of my parents was, yeah, we're we're just gonna help you. Like that's just duh. Like yeah, obviously, not even a question. Like why would you need to do things on your own? That's silly. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, and so. Um, and, of course, you know, I you have to consider that their exposure to disability, at least the way they've explained it to me, is in Vietnam, if you had a really significant congenital disability, you would be in the back of the house and society would not see you. Yeah. And you would not be introduced to the outside. Your family would love you, but that you're away. Yeah. Um, and so that's what they knew. They did not do that with me um but they they didn't know what to do with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> right on the flip side of that um, and and then um let's talk about housing and the cost of an accessible house um for the average person i don't even i can't even say a cost i mean yeah you know, right i you know i've been looking at houses for the last year for my own self and it's like Oh, a house that is possibly going to work with one one modification, which is a ramp added to the outside. Uh-huh. But the inside has big doorways and you know okay. you can have it around. The average house, I would say, is about 70,0 Yeah. Homes. Um that is just that is just out of reach. Uh, impossible for yes. people who are starting out their lives in in a new country. And so, um, you know, the best they could do was a three-story house. And yes, I used to walk around the main floor. I was uh, carried up to my bedroom. I had a bedroom upstairs. I shared it with my sister. Um, And so we had a little system and the system was, you know, Anna, my sister would relay whatever I needed if I couldn't get anywhere. Um, and then, um, you know, the carrying would be done by my parents. Um, we did not have a ramp into the house. So I didn't actually know how to use a wheelchair until I was about, well, I used one since I was five, but I only used it at school. So I didn't really use it all day. Um, and so it would be, I would be put into my power wheelchair. I would go to school, um, on the bus. And then use it all day at school, loved it because I had a little bit of freedom. And then I would come home and I would go right back into my walker or on the floor to, like, scoot around. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't have an accessible house until I was in high school. And, um, you know, I was very vocal about, like, we need an accessible house. I can't do it. No. Um. And so we were able to semi make it accessible. Um, It finally, you know, there was a ramp. So I finally could use a wheelchair inside the house. And that was literally, I was 15. So um, that was really new for me. And that really actually began my journey to like full independence because I had my chair in the house. Then I finally could learn to do things like shower and go to bed and, and cook. And it was just so, um, mind blowing to me when I think about that, um, that I couldn't do that up until. For 15, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, my bedroom was still not accessible. So I still was carried up to my room, um, up and up until graduation. <laughs> Who carried you? Uh, my mom and then my sister, who, okay. um, was able to at that point, and okay. my younger brother as well. Um, and so you know we would, you know, we would all have code of like we were still you know kind of annoying teenagers who did whatever they wanted <laughs> behind my parents' back. Um, so we we had a good little scheme going, but yeah, it was it was really interesting. I mean, a lot of people had to be involved to make my life. Semi accessible at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, just even going out with my friends looked different in high school um, due to, you know, a power chair can't fit into an average car. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we would have to figure that out with my friends. And that was interesting. Um, so, would they lift you into the car and then try to lift you? Because the chairs are heavy too. I mean, so heavy. And you can see, I mean, you can see, just imagine these, like, teenage boys who are like, oh, yeah, we totally, we could totally Oh, do this. yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, that's, okay, go ahead. And then, you know, it's 300 pounds. They're not going to no, do right. it. Right. It's like an episode uh, of Jackass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's just, I remember one time we thought we were so brilliant in high school. And um, we all do. As we all do, and we had a power chair, and they were like, "Well, let's just go to lunch. We'll just put you in the car, and then we'll park your power chair in the parking lot, and then we'll just like come back." Oh yeah, we got in big trouble. Um, big trouble for that through all all the people. Oh and man, all the administrators. But yeah, I mean, I you know that's also another barrier to just inclusion and. Yeah. Um, participation in, in normal life. But yeah, I mean, it, from my childhood, I definitely knew the barriers from early on of like, oh, wow, okay, it takes a lot more to make things accessible for me. And, yeah, you know, that usually means money. We didn't have a wheelchair accessible van until I was 15. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because you can have the chair, but if the chair can only go around your house, I mean, it's only so helpful. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so yeah. a- as an adult, I imagine you can seek out other people with disabilities and and you can kind of bond and, and share things. And But like it, as a child, you're in school with whoever's lives near you and maybe there aren't other kids with disabilities. And so how how do friendships happen and how do they not happen and what kind of i mean my son is 11 and a kid just got suspended because he made this horrible video about a kid that they go to school with who's in a wheelchair and he just he made this like this video meme making fun of this kid and i i am glad that my son was horrified but i thought mm-hmm. like uh, you know here we are in our cute little town and i was like are you kidding but of course kids i mean kids make fun of kids no matter what but like how how did you navigate the social aspects of that? And as an adult person, do you find yourself seeking out other people with disabilities or do you feel like you have a, a mix of folks in your life?
1: Now I think I have a really good mix and I love it. Um, I didn't envision my life that way. Um, and I talked about pride earlier. So pride came to me, disability pride, um, not as early as you would think. It was like in my mid-20s. Wow. And so my whole childhood, yeah, you're right. You know, you're in a classroom with mainly able-bodied kids and, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're weird, you know, you're strange. Um, But I, you know, for me, what I took away from that and what I remember, I was very outgoing um, and I think the nature of having a disability can make you be bossy sometimes. Um, (laughs) And so I kind of drove the classroom is what, um, is what I was known for. Um, Uh (laughs) There were kids who took well to that. They loved direction and they loved like, okay, yeah, what do we do next? And um, there were kids that, you know, we're not into that, but um, I, I had some very good friendships as a child. I remember that, um, You know, I'm obviously easily spotted out in the world. And um, my next door neighbor, I had no idea he was in my classroom um, in first grade. And uh, he came over, his parents took him to our house and introduced himself. And he said, and we were first graders, like, what do we know? (laughs) And um, he said, you know, if you're ever sick or out of school, I would love to take your homework to you. Um, and if you ever need anything else, like we're neighbors, I live right here. And so, um, we developed a really great bond and, um, friendship over the years. Um, and that was amazing. Like that, again, is that like natural exposure to like, and I, I think kids are more accepting than adults. Um, and so kids, we just... They were truthful they got their questions out what's wrong with you why do you look like that uh-huh uh, why are you in a wheelchair and then it's over and then they yeah okay cool so yeah like, yeah i say i can't walk i have brittle bones i don't know why <laughs> um and then they're just like okay whatever i want to play barbies and i'm like yeah yeah okay. um and so a lot that was how the interactions went in school um I loved school, so I found like a lot of commonalities through, you know, people who enjoyed math and English and um, whatnot. And then, you know, in high school, it gets a little rough. I think it gets rough for everybody um, because you're trying to find this like coolness and this identity. Um, but I, I would say if you talk to, and we joke about this all the time, my best friend and I, um, she went to high school with me. I had no idea she was in my class. (laughs) Um, That's, yeah, that's something. We didn't discover each other until college. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, But she said, I was in your class, you know, for like three years. You had no idea. And she knew, Uh, but you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I knew. I was scared to talk to you, but I knew you. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Um, And uh, she would say, and a lot of other people would say that I was very well known within school. Um, <laughs> okay. and had a very big personality, and so I think, to me, that's fostered by the home environment. Um, you know, I think my parents had very high expectations of me as a, as the oldest child in their three kids. But also, they didn't really care if I had a disability or not. They were like, "You're freaking smart, and you better do something with that." And also, you're going to do what you can. And so we had equal chores throughout the three, you know, siblings. So I would do things like set the table because I could Uh um, or uh, pretend to clean the windows. I don't don't even know how well I did with that. Um, But (laughs) But (laughs) you gave it a college try. Heck yes, I did. And you know, things like that. Expectations of you know, my mom and dad expected all of us to to be polite, to be respectful, and I think in turn and, you know, with interaction with my siblings, it really helped me just um, accept that, you know, people were going to be different around me, but I also, um, I had the ability to make folks comfortable. And so I was um, pretty okay with that and pretty happy. Um, When I went to college, I, and, and then, yeah, high school, you know, everybody gets awkward. And then you go to college and, um, you know, there's, you're finding out there's activities for people with disabilities and sports. And, and there is this phase of me where I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going to be in an all disability group. Like, what is that? You know, that's, yeah. um, and so that was interesting. That was an interesting time for me. And I met a really good friend and she just, she was disabled. She had the same disability as me and she just called out my BS. And she was like, you need to get over it. You need to get over it because you're disabled. And that's mm-hmm. that's who we are. And you need to go to some crap with people with disabilities and meet some other people. And I did. Um, my first like all disability pride, I'd say, like, moment was I traveled to a new country with all random strangers with disabilities. Wow. Where'd you go? Costa Rica. Okay. Yeah. And so talk about, like, inaccessibility. You've never traveled before and neither have these other people (laughs) with a variety of disabilities. So you kind of have to bond. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we're still lifetime friends now oh, that's awesome. I'm, like, beyond thankful for that. Um, but that was kind of the first moment into realizing like, yeah, I, you can learn a lot from the people around you who are going through the same exact things. And, um, so now, yeah, my life is just, there's a mix, there's yeah. a mix of people. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you, if you're Pride didn't sort of materialize until your 20s. Would you say there was shame before that or just not a lot of thought about it?
1: I would say not a lot of thought about it. Okay. Um, I don't really remember feeling shameful. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest, like, thing that I remember that stood out was I hated when people asked me why I was different. I hated it. Um, I really hated it. And I hated it for a long time. And so that was like the big negative in my life. Like, I'm like, why do people just keep asking me that? That's so weird. Um, but, you know, I, I very much understood, like my life was different, very much understood that, um, you know, how my days with my friends would look versus my other able-bodied friends who would hang out with the same group of people. Um, so there was no shame in that, but it was more like, I wish people didn't care as they did yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: so I wonder if um if you're willing to and you this may not even be something you can do because it's just how like you live by yourself yes okay so I'm wondering if you would be willing to like take us like in your front door and like you're getting a snack you're like tell us like what what things are in your house that you have to do differently? Like, cause I try often to imagine Kelly, our mutual friend, whenever I've spent time with Kelly, when I like when I'm walking into my building or when I'm like, even like going into my bathroom, whatever, I'm like, how would Kelly do this? And like, if I was going to try to reach this thing, like could Kelly get this? And Mm -hmm. that has been so helpful to me in being more mindful. And Mm -hmm. I wonder there's so much privilege and so much just sort of mindlessness about, Able bodied existence that I I wonder if, you know, just a few things that you're like, oh, this is a thing I have to do differently.
1: Yeah. Like you mean physically showing around, because that might be harder. But uh, Yeah, um, no, just
0: talk like talk us through it. Like Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, this I think I still have family members, like extended aunts and uncles, uh-huh. Who ask me how I cook. <laughs> they still don't fully believe I live alone. I don't know what I <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking.
0: <laughs> you have like helper monkeys or something. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: I'm like, what exactly do you envision when we say this to you? Um, but uh, so luckily I have a power chair that um, raises up and down, has a okay. seat elevator. And then on top of that, um, I'm strong enough to stand with support. And so when my chair is at its highest and I can stand, i um, I can pretty much reach, let's see, like the lowest, top cupboard, um, obviously the stove, the oven. um, But that often looks, people cannot conceptualize that for some reason. Um, And I think it is because I'm only three foot three and it doesn't look like I can reach much, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I love, one of the things I love is just home-cooked meals. I cook a lot. Um, Laundry is also an interesting one for people to conceptualize. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, with the seat elevator and with standing, there's really, I mean, it's its not simple, but it is doable um, to do laundry. I do that by myself. Um, I use a shower chair. That's pretty common for folks with disabilities um, in their shower. I'm trying to think of like something super unique. I love to garden. Um, so, so that's an interesting one. And, um, well, first it's interesting because I don't have, like, a yard. I have, you know, an apartment patio. And okay. so um, and we do a lot of pots and little random, like, uh, accessibility gadgets. But my best friend, the one who said I didn't know her in high school, um, you know, is into this. And so she kind of helped me set up this very accessible, like, system for me. So it's it's a lot of pots. They're all at my height, and then um, there's just a ton of water bottles around (laughs) that I used to water the plants with. Um, But that's also people can't – my mom, she was like – she couldn't believe me, and she was like, can I see your setup? Like, I don't believe you. (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, uh, I still have a lot of assistance with um, cleaning my place. Okay. um, And also making the bed. It's it's just – too much for me to do that. Um, So those are some things that are helpful for me. Um, And so I do have a personal care attendant who comes about every two weeks, um, who cleans and then who helps me change the linens on my bed. Um, We have a great relationship. And um, I've known her for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's amazing. I love her. We're a family now. Um, Awesome. I really appreciate her, um, but there's assistance for that. Grocery shopping is always an interesting one. Um, I will say more interesting socially than physically. Um, there's a lot of interesting comments I get in the grocery store.
0: <laughs> Tell us what stupid things people say.
1: Oh my gosh! I can't believe I uh, I can't believe that you're out today. And I'm like, well, do they know I was not out yesterday? Like I don't. I don't right? Know. What do you right? <laughs> I just, I don't get that today. Someone today, right? Yeah, today, some woman was like, "You're so cute." Oh, uh, so cute, and I'm like, "Okay, I just, I'm, I'm too tired. I can't deal with it. Um, so I just move along. Um, you know, I, I think good job is a lot of what I get. Like, good job for, and I'm like for, for just uh, being a person, grabbing a strawberry. I don't get right. it. I yeah, just, yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of that, which I don't love. Um, But, you know, as you, I think, as anybody talks to people with disabilities, the barriers lie more within the social realm than the actual physical realm. Yeah. I've noticed that so much in my life. Um, You know, an apartment can be as inaccessible as it is, but when you have people who are like, you know what? We're gonna get creative and we're gonna think of something, um, then it works. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that in my whole life. I mean, from living in college in my dorm to accessing a cadaver class. Oh, wow. With creativity to living on my own here. I have a brother-in-law who's an engineer and just loves loves to just do things like randomly. And so he's like, oh yeah, let me just think about it really quick. And E 3 d prints my, my wheelchair joystick. I don't know if you can, can see oh, it. Oh, wow. But, okay. So there's a lot of like, you know, um, there's a lot of help from the community to make my life accessible. And um, I've traveled to many, many countries where it is impossible to get around, but, but the social attitudes of people makes a difference. So you know, I've noticed in Costa Rica, it was like a no brainer. They were like, people oh, just you. yeah, we just need to stop traffic for a minute. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. oh, I'm gonna need oh. Just, okay. all right, we could do that. Or, you know, in Europe when people are like, yeah, let, let's just yeah, this looks hard. So the clearly the best thing we could do is lift this wheelchair up the steps. Um, right. You're like, could you call America, please? <laughs> 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 just call the country. Just tell them. <laughs> pretty much. I'm like, can we have a class on how to just be, like, kind to your neighbors? Yeah. That would, um, but that's that's kind of my motto in life is I believe accessibility is all about people's attitudes and not the disabled person's attitude.
0: Um, and, and even about devices. Like, it's about noticing that a person needs help and offering it, like, in a no-brainer kind of way.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's, again, like, it's, it's our attitudes. If... People cared about people with disabilities, they would create wheelchairs that actually met our needs. you yeah. know we hear a lot about mobility devices being kind of hard to use or hard to fix yeah <laughs> of people breaking often, and that's because we have a very interesting value on people with disabilities in society. Um, and I think it starts with that.
0: yeah, yeah. So, my final question, you set it up perfectly that the social is the challenge. So you are a single person presently yes what, how what how do you go about dating when you are a person in a motorized wheelchair and like, just, yeah, what do you how does that work?
1: oh, it's it's interesting <laughs> um, <laughs> um I was i you will have to listen to a podcast on this. I was on a pretty cool podcast about a relationship. Um, but dating is interesting. I, um, you know, when I was younger, I fell for friends a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I think is because you, for, at least for me as a person with a disability, I have to feel pretty safe, um, yeah. with somebody. It's hard. It's so hard to just be attracted to a stranger when you have these very intimate, things about you that, you know, are not easily shareable, um, they're not easily accepted. And so a lot of friendships, um, and then it would never go anywhere. Um, And then online dating came about. And that was just weird. It was just so weird. Um, But I've actually had interestingly positive experiences with that. Um, I keep thinking like, something bad is going to happen because why do I hear all these weird, terrible stories and I just haven't experienced that. Right. Um, and so, you know, I've had like maybe five experiences from apps, positive in ways just like, you know, the dates ended well, um, there was not awkward conversation around disability. So either they were really straightforward uh huh, um, or they were just like, yeah, just like, I guess we'll take it as it comes. Um, I didn't feel obligated to be to be anybody different to share anything different. Um, I've been in one long relationship. Um, and that was that was really interesting. And it came down to family acceptance for us to work out. Uh... And, yeah. And so it's interesting, because I, I think everybody, when you date, you think like, Oh, yeah, I you know, you have to the family like you too but um when there's a disability or or a different kind of um i don't know under yeah thing uh present yeah i forget alice that you know there's you're not just dating like the person you're dating like everybody in their family right um so yeah so that's that's also an interesting experience um you know sex i think is easier for people than they think <laughs> <laughs> with me. <laughs> uh-huh. Um and that's always hilarious because I'm I'm like, what did you think it was gonna be? You right. Know, I didn't get it. Yeah. Um so that's also interesting. Um but I you know I think many people don't realize that um they can be easily uh, they can easily fall for somebody who they did not envision. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I have found that too, which I think is just so interesting. And in my whole experience of just like, Hmm. Okay. People just have a lot to learn. And um, it really, I think takes a very confident and like rooted, like, a person super rooted and who they are and yeah to really um, commit to a person with a disability. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, the, uh, yeah, the, the social barriers, I can absolutely see that like no amount of will can overcome social barriers. Like people just, ha- it's all, it's all internal softening and awareness and, um, probably infinite patience on your part. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and there's a mix of like patience and also just like, when do you have the best time to call somebody out on some of this stuff? You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for sharing what you've shared. Uh, I would love to talk with you more. We like so many of our guests, I'm like, we're just going to call you again and we'll talk about more stuff. But um, (laughs) is there anything that you didn't get to say that you feel like, like, do you want to give able-bodied people a tip or a kick in the ass or like something that you didn't get to mention that you want to say?
1: Well, um, you know, I think the best thing, and I'd like to reiterate it again, is like, When you are learning more about our community, our disabled community, you know, I think it's important to think about what you will be doing with that information. Um, Is it, you know, is it just speaking on our behalf when we're too tired um, to advocate? Or, you know, is it uh, working in in an interesting area that you've never thought you would have interest in? I find a lot of my friends in disability policy and they're just learning, but I think that's helpful. Um, Cause we need, we need both people on, um, to fight the fight. And so I think what I would just ask is for you to think about, you know, like, what am I going to do with this information and like, what role do I play? Um, and even if it's just looking at yourself and what you believe about the disability community, um, and and understanding that that you do have a role whatever yeah. that is yeah. yeah yeah
0: and even that is a lot if you're if you're actually doing it yep. yeah yeah well, thank you so much for for sharing with us and for everything that you do, and um and and for taking such good care of your plants. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, I'm so glad we got to close out season four with uh, our new friend Teresa Nguyen. And uh, remember to leave us a review. Get out there on the social medias. Tell your pets and your pals. Like us, love us, share us, all the things. And uh, we'll see you next season. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.
1: interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. our theme music is by harry pickens new episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org that's podcast at healwell.org thanks for listening